Konbanwa, all you yokai and yuri out there, welcome to another episode of Over the Horizon, where I like to shout into the void about all kinds of topics relating to the horror genre. I am, of course, your mysterious host. And I figure since it's the second episode, maybe I should uh, let you guys know a little bit more about me uh, before I get into tonight's topic. Um, one thing you should know is... Uh, uh, Confession time, I've not always been the fearless horror media viewer that I am today. There was a time when I was a boy that I was what people would call a pansy when it came to these kind of films. I could not stand them. Even films that weren't even considered horror films sometimes would scare me. Uh, I can remember the first thing that any movie, any first movie ever to scare me was The Black Cauldron, which is today my favorite Disney film, uh, is The Horned King terrified me to no end it was terrifying but I, I knew that despite this crippling fear I had about these films I had to train myself to like them because something about them just drew me in and so I figured okay what I'll do is I will start with the early stuff and I'll work my way forward this led to some of my first horror films as a kid being uh, Nosferatu in the cabin of Dr. Caligari and the universal monster movies like Dracula and the Wolfman and the Invisible Man. And, uh, and then, you know, I just slowly worked my way up. But there was one, there was one era, one genre, one, uh, from one specific place that I, I avoided like all hell. Because uh, when I was in high school, I had a traumatic experience. This experience was I went to a friend's house and he's like, hey, you like horror films? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I I like them, and this was by the time my regimen of watching scary movies had gotten me somewhat uh, used to these scary films. He's like, oh, I got, I got a good one. He's like, I have, from Japan, the original Ring, Ringu. And I said, ooh, okay, uh, maybe, yeah, let's give it a try. And I, I, was, I was petrified throughout the I was embarrassed. I was at my friend's house, and I could not watch this movie except from the, just between my fingers, covering my face the whole time. It's terrified me. It was I, something about this film just 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 made my skin crawl, and so when I got to the point in my <laughs> regimen of getting through these horror films to the point where I was at you know these late '90s, early 2000s J horror films about ghosts, because I was very meticulous with how I categorized these uh, <laughs> categorized these films. I said no, I am not going to watch those. Those are too scary for me. I'll come back to that. Well. Now I've decided to make an entire talk show about horror films, so I think it'd be a little remiss of me to ignore it any longer. So tonight I have four of uh, four of the most, uh, I guess, famous films from this era of ghost films coming out of Japan, and uh, I'll just I want to you know give them a go and see if they really do live up to this hype that I gave them my whole life since high school. Uh, that they're the terrifying end-all, be-all films of the, you know, they're the scariest films. Uh, tonight I'll be talking about uh, Zhu on the Grudge, released on 2002, uh, Pulse from 2001, Reincarnation from 2005, and then the one, my 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 uh, the one that I couldn't beat in high school, the one that that got me, Ring, the Ring from 1998. So I'll go through these films, reviewing them, and specifically I want to talk about now were they really as scary as uh, I hyped them up to be when I was a kid. Uh, so yeah, let's just get right into it. Uh, the first one is Zhuan, The Grudge, released in 2002, 
written and directed by Takashi Shimizu. Now, uh, obviously, other than The Ring, this is probably the most famous uh, one of these films. And uh, one thing while watching it I liked a lot is, um, from a story perspective, is it's very simple. It's a very simple story where at the very beginning we're shown a murder and we know, okay, this is this is the inside incident. You know, these are the these are the three people and one cat that are going to be the ghosts in these films. And I think that's very interesting. Not to start out, it's like this is it, you know? Which is something, you know, I feel like in some ghost films you're kinda of trying to discover why are there, you know, people being haunted or why is the house haunted? And this one they just say it's because of this murder. And they just show it to you in a graphic, disgusting way. And you're like, all right, this is what we'll be dealing with. Now, one thing I really like about this film is uh, it is non-linear. We get the story through six short segments with uh, five characters, really. Um, and one thing I like about all these characters is they are kind of random victims. Um, one thing, if The Cabin in the Woods has taught us anything about horror films is that you feel that these people in scary films, they should be getting punished for some reason, um, for most part. And in this case, none of these characters deserve to be punished. They were all random people who had very little involvement in the initial murder. I mean, in, in most cases, they had no involvement whatsoever. A lot of them are just... <laughs> people who happen to walk into the house for whatever reason and as soon as they walk in that house their fate was sealed for example years after this murder takes place um, a couple lives in this house and what ends up happening is they're haunted for a long while and eventually what happens is the um the husband he ends up being possessed and begins trying to recreate this murder and while he's trying to recreate this murder it's dialogue that he says while well, he's possessed and you know playing out the role of the murderer that we learn some of the inspiration behind the original murder and i think that's a really interesting way to tell the story not through flashbacks or explanation but saying you know actually having the ghost speak out and recreate what's happening through someone else um which is something that happens a lot in this film is so people are now being sucked into this moment this murder and they're being forced to play it out um, and then along with that, it's just if people, uh, for instance, the man who uh, ends up doing that, his sister, she comes into the house for a very, very short period of time. But as soon as she walks in, her fate is sealed because what ends up happening is the curse comes with her. and These spirits, you know, completely independent of the house, begin following her around her apartment complex. And through her, they are now reaching out to more innocent victims and it gives you this idea that this curse, this, these, these spirits, it's almost like it's not the individuals who are the ghost. It's this murder that's the ghost. It's this terrible instance in time that is now being forced to play over and over again is actually the force that's at work. And how it's, how it's slowly just ensnaring people into its you know, clutches and it's forcing everyone to replay this moment over and over again. And it's just you know, trying to take over basically anyone it can get its hands on. Um, and as grand as that sounds, the production for this film was actually very simple. It, um, the house, first off, the, the, the haunted house of the film, is just a basic house, but just from the way we follow all the different characters who go into this house, um, we become very painfully familiar with the layout of the house. 
and uh, and it's very fun because it's, this movie is almost like a uh, haunted house simulator, if that makes sense. Um, because really, for the most part, you're just following characters going to this house, and you're watching them from behind. You're following them through this film, the, the for, through the film, and it's just you know, and you 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 know where all these scary things happened in the last short. So now you're worried about people doing the same thing. And it's 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 really it's fun. It's a little experience I feel like, and it was I very much like that. And it's done really well because the way the movie's shot, uh, very rarely do you just see a character or a single thing. A lot of times I would find that the characters would be you know in the foreground, but the background is just laid out before you, and you can see doorways and hallways, and you're kind of just because how the film kind of wires you after a couple. Of, a couple of scares as you're just looking around searching for these ghosts like they're talking about the the plot in the foreground but you're in the background and you're like there's a ghost back there and i know it it's gonna pop up and get me and the way they portray these ghosts is really interesting they don't use a lot of special effects it's just really uh you know <laughs> two people painted white but it's used it's they use editing basically to um really to use these two these two actors portraying the ghosts and it's just great um, you know, you'll have a character, he's in the foreground, he's doing something, and then you'll see a little a little ghost boy dash in the background, and he turns around, and he's not there. But how does that make sense? He's in a small room. The, he, sh- he must have gone through the walls or disappeared. They don't show you that, of course, because a lot of times, uh, you know, if someone showed you that with the technology that uh, they had in the uh, 2002, <laughs> it wouldn't look that great. But just by showing the character, the ghost character, running in the background and then editing you know quickly cutting to behind you know the guy looking behind him and there's nothing it's effective and i like that a lot it's that movie magic um and even sound too their sound is used to great effect in this film uh specific sounds too this, this film will take specific sounds and you kind of once you hear them you're like "Ooh, i know what's happening or Ooh, i know what ghost i'm about to see uh little simple things like the meowing of a kitten or um just this kind of low guttural groan this you know <laughs> it you know once you hear it you're like oh i know what's coming next um and uh I, I, little things like that just the editing the sound cinematography very little things uh you know filmmaking 101 things uh but they it's just used amazingly and it makes this film so much better because you can tell that someone actually knew what they were doing behind the camera and you know in post-production <laughs> Um, and then one thing this film does a lot, and, and talking about 2002 special effects, it does use some uh, computer digital effects, uh, but it, it knows how to use it. Because one thing you'll see is a lot of these digital effects are used while someone's looking at a TV screen. So that's one thing that's really interesting is, you know, someone will be watching a TV screen and, you know, a, a character, a person, like a newscaster, her face will distort in this disgusting way and it's very obviously it's a video effect but it's also on a tv so you'd expect it to be a video effect so it's frightening but they don't if it was done of a character who was there presently it would look goofy but because it's on the tv it works really well and i think really that's what makes these kind of earlier films especially from this era where you could do a lot but it's really just restrictive on how talented your computer effects guys are uh when you work with your limitations something can become a lot more uh, timeless than if you try to be completely, uh, you know, over the top with your effects. So I'm really happy that uh, 
you know, they knew their limitations and they used those to their advantage, which is, um, again, just a mark of good filmmaking and, you know, especially around this era where you could get, you know, something being a complete CGI mess or a horror masterpiece like this film. Which gets me to how scary was Jew on the Grudge? Does this live up to that uh, Japanese ghost story hype that I gave it when I was a high schooler? Yes, this one was this one was the worst. Out of all these four, I'll just say that right from the start. Jew on the Grudge is terrifying. Um, you always have a sense of dread. When you're walking through that house with all these characters, it's just so tense and you just feel it. You know, it's just this, it's just there with you. It's in since you're tensing up you know it's so tense and you know it's so tense because you know something's gonna happen and you get these jump scares and this movie is full of jump scares which i think some people have a very negative view of jump scares and i think specifically the jump scares have to be earned think about citizen kane in citizen kane there's a part uh late late in the movie where nothing's really happening and all of a sudden this parrot this macaw or something just jumps on scream and screeches and it's it's loud and it and, and, and orson wells even says that he put it in there just to wake people up does that make him a master of the macabre no that just means he was kind of he even admits he kind of just did it to wake people up that doesn't make citizen kane a horror film uh, jump scares have to be earned so in the movie where you just have a jump scare come out of nowhere it doesn't make it scary and it definitely doesn't just make it as uh good as citizen kane it's just cheap but if the whole movie is based around, you know, when you're expecting it, that's what it's really about. When you're when you're in this house following these characters, you know it's coming. And it's filmed in a way, it's edited in a way, the sound is happening in a way, everything's happening in a way that you know a scare is about to happen. And whether it doesn't or it happen whether it doesn't happen or it does happen, you have it. And you, you have that feeling of dread throughout the whole film. So that is how you're supposed to do jump scares. And Jew on the Grudge is probably the best example of a jump scares in a movie that i've ever seen um and then finally what i really want to talk about this film i think really the star of this film really i mean when we talk about when we talk about movie monsters and the actors that betray them we talk about robert england as freddy krueger we talk about brad dorf as chucky the killer doll we have doug bradley as the leader of the cinnabites pinhead and of course tony todd as the titular Candyman. But why is no one talking about Takako Fuji as Kayako? Kayako is the scariest part about this film. Everything about Kayako just seems so unnatural. And they use all these uh, techniques I talked about before to make her the scariest movie monster I've ever seen in my life. Because um, not only do you have her just being so strange and bizarre and the way she moves... You have the sound design with those crunching bones and groaning as she moves closer and closer. And, and uh, you know, th just that, that simple white makeup. There's even, there's even a part where her makeup, she's, there's a part where she's coming down the stairs and you can see the makeup's kind of smearing off her. And it doesn't, something like that usually takes you out of, like, this, you know, the scene. But it, I don't know, for me it felt even more terrifying. I, I don't think there's ever been a monster in a movie where their continual presence on screen actually made it worse than you know their the, the them not being on screen I, it's it, like there was the anticipation yes you know all that kind of stuff no she's just looking at her i get uncomfortable the expression she makes 
it just feels like she's in pain. It feels like she's, it's, it's, I don't know, just the, such simple things. They're able to make her seem like the most terrifying thing in the world. Just the situations they put her in, uh, you know, it makes you think like, oh my God, is she going to be under my covers when I get home? Is she going to be looking in through my window? Uh, it's just terrifying. And I, it's crazy. I think this, this actress, she, and I looked her up. She's not in a lot of things. Uh, she was, she was in Juwan a lot, at least. I mean, she was uh, in a Juwan short film. I guess was like a, a kind of a proof of concept for the Juon series. She was in Juon the Curse and Juon the Curse 2, which I did not realize were movies that existed. She was in this film, Juon the Grudge, then uh, its sequel, Juon the Grudge 2. And then when they remade it in America, she was in both the Grudges, Grudge 1 and Grudge 2. I mean, that's how good she was. She was so good that even the Americans were like, we cannot recreate how good this movie was without her. And uh, so, yeah, I just would say, I think what that really is what pushes this film to me to the uh, what is the scariest out of all these movies. Uh, she, she, Kayako. Kayako makes uh, Juwan, The Grudge, the most terrifying out of these four movies that I watched. So, this next film, this next film is Cairo or Pulse from 2001, written and directed by Kiyoshi Kurosawa. The story is, uh, this, this story is very different than the other movies. The other movies are very self-contained movies about, um, you know, they're very traditional ghost stories. Um, oh, it's a haunted house. Here's a haunted hotel. Here's a haunted VHS tape. Pretty straightforward as far as ghost stories go. This movie, and you don't realize that at first, because at first it's like, well, what if the internet was haunted? And you're like, ooh. Well, that's pretty crazy on the internet halfway through it's just like what if it changes so i i kind of want to maybe avoid talking about the second parts of the movie because it just changes but let me tell you this is a journey through a world of horror um this film is so very interesting and um i would recommend you watch it and uh i'm gonna try to avoid going into the second half of the film because really that's what made it for me from just being oh this is a good ghost story to like wow this is this is a this is a journey um so anyways basically you got characters michi who's a plant shop girl she's a girl who works at a plant shop and you got ryosuke who's a economic student and that's really all you know about these guys you don't really know a lot about uh you know other than what they're currently doing now michi she's having this thing where uh, she's witnessing her friends walk into these forbidden rooms and she figures out about these uh, forbidden rooms that are basically just normal rooms that someone blocks off with red tape around the door frame and if someone goes in there they will witness a ghost and when they leave they will lose their will to live and slowly fade away. Um, Ryosuke, he's having an issue where he's trying to set up his internet <laughs> And uh, he's being, basically, he thinks he's being hacked, but he's basically getting uh, put into all these haunted websites that are asking him if he wants to see a ghost. And through these different characters experiencing two separate things, we kind of get the full story. And it's a very cool idea of having just two characters experiencing two completely different phenomena, and later on how that unravels into one story. And um, later on in the second half of the film, they meet up. And uh, one thing I like about this movie, too, is it kind of gives you a lot of these little motifs, these little ideas. It throws them at you, 
and then it doesn't always completely resolve it until it moves on to the next one but i think the it talks a lot about loneliness i think this movie talks a lot about isolation and loneliness with the with the internet and death uh for instance with the internet it talks about the uh this idea that is the internet actually good for us when it comes to connecting with other human beings um obviously that's what the internet was connected you know it was made to to connect to other human beings but does it do that effectively i mean you think about it you know if you're on the computer a lot um you're really for the most part just alone you're just alone with a machine that is just you know some input and output uh, devices and you're not really interacting with anyone i mean other people are also you know on these machines alone in the rooms and it shows you these pictures of, you know, this part where Ryosuke, he's on his computer and the ghost is showing him all these rooms of people just alone, looking at a screen that's glowing on their face. They don't look particularly happy, um, you know, and ask, and I don't know, just it's interesting to think about, is the internet actually good for human interaction? Am I spending my time connecting to people by talking to this uh, recording program and then posting it on uh, the internet for people to listen to? that I'll never meet? Or should I be spending my time with people that are, you know, living right next door to me? I thought that was very interesting. And then it talks more also about death and death and how that pertains to loneliness is, you know, are we all destined to be alone? Do we actually see our uh, family members and friends after we die? Or is this just a, uh, you know, is this the only time we get to see other people and after that we stop existing and we're just with ourselves for the rest of eternity? It's terrifying. Um, and it, one thing I think is really interesting is with uh, Michi and Ryosuke, they both experience this. These characters who witness the ghosts, they slowly lose their will to live. And it, it makes you think about, um, you know, because early on in the film, you know, they're all with all their friends and their friends are slowly disappearing one by one. And it makes you think, like, that's just life, you know? You start out, and there's all these people. You know them, and you get to know, you know, you get to know them. You spend time with them. And just slowly, they um, they disappear. I mean, like, to, from your perspective, they just disappear. And, you know, eventually you're going to be left with one of them. And one of those two have to go first, and the other one's going to have to watch. And I, mean, I know I'm being a bummer right now with these, you know, this loneliness and death, but... This is really the, the story is really what gets you with this film. It's not really so much the, um, the traditional scares in films, which is, it has tons of those too, but I feel like the ideas it gives you really kind of fill you with existential dread. And it's a different type of fear, but I really enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> it's very different than The Grudge. It's very melancholy. It's very in your head. And it's these kind of thoughts that we think about um, alone sometimes I think or at least I do and it kind of puts it you know makes it uses it as a theme for a movie which I really enjoyed because I felt like it was I mean I feel like it was kind of talking to me about kind of those uh, thoughts you have alone kind of sad but I don't know that's that's not to say though that this film does not have some traditional scares uh, one thing I would recommend with this movie watch it with headphones uh, the sound in this movie uh, particularly the the sounds of the ghosts, the the sounds the ghosts make is uh, particularly terrifying. Um, so I would recommend you'd watch this uh, with headphones. And if you're gonna take further viewing uh, experience recommendations from me, uh, in your room alone in the dark, 
on a computer with your headphones. You'll feel like you're in the movie, honestly. Um, and you know, talking about the computer, uh, I think this movie has a very interesting use of technology. Um, I mean, 2001 Japan seems very modern even today. Um, so it's really interesting to see these ghosts in these modern setting and, you know, using modern, uh, conduits to communicate with us, like the computer, um, television, all that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, it's nothing new, obviously poltergeist, you know, had TVs with ghosts and I'm sure before then there was, you know, ghosts with radios and all that kind of stuff. But, um, I don't know, this movie just definitely gives it a very modern feel with its use of technology and uh, how ghosts interact using technology. Um, and it leads to some very terrifying uh, scenes. Um, and then one, and then uh, the other thing I like about this movie is it's very gritty. This one has a very, it has a very gritty, otherworldly feel to it. It feels very strange, even when just normal things are happening. Um, I don't know if it's even intentional but just something about it was done in a way that made me kind of feel at unease. And just, I don't know, this whole movie has a very gritty, strange feeling to it, especially later on. Um, uh, well, is this movie scary? Well, yes, this movie's terrifying. Uh, again, these ghosts in the film, uh, they don't even have the white paint that they got in The Grudge, but they're still terrifying. These, some of these, there's some scenes in this movie that made my skin crawl. I was having a hard time looking at the screen it wasn't a jump scare or anything. It was just disturbing imagery, and it made me want to look away. And but I couldn't because it was like a, it was just it was just so mesmerizing and terrifying at the same time. And then, like I said, this movie makes you question your very existence with the motifs it gives you. I I was having a hard time, like just processing it all in time. I I almost felt like I needed to watch this movie at least twice, um, but and I probably will honestly, <laughs> but um. It, yeah, this movie just has a lot of these ideas that are just drops in your lap and just lets you ruminate about them. And I would definitely recommend watching this one. Um, this is a good one. And it definitely, it makes, it's not scary in the sense that it's going to spook you right out of your seat, but it's, it's going to stay in your mind for a couple days afterwards. And moving on to our next film, we have Rene, or Reincarnation, released in. 2005 and written and directed by Takashi Shimizu, same guy who did uh, Jew on the Grudge. Um, and that's pretty evident too. The story is extremely similar. Uh, you have a murder that then begets a terrible curse. But I think that the main plot point of the film, which is this idea of reincarnation, kind of definitely sets it apart um, from the, from the um, Juan series. One thing I very much like is just, you know, how I was talking about how all the victims in Juon, they're random, you know, and you feel like there's just this kind of random curse, this curse is just randomly, you know, striking out at people. But with this film, uh, there's this connection where the people being tormented are the people who are the reincarnation of the victims and the murderer, um, which, you know, it kind of makes me think, is that more random or is that... I don't know, because are you really responsible for what you do in a past life? Should you be punished for that? And again, it's just this another senseless curse, but, uh, you know, it's I just thought that little aspect is very interesting. Uh, essentially, this story uh, trades the haunted house for a haunted hotel and uh, tells the story about a man 
who goes crazy, kills his kids, and a couple of the hotel staff. Uh, this movie has more than a few references to The Shining, which I very much appreciated. That being said, this movie is less about those murders and more about years later of this man trying to film a movie about those murders and how the ghosts uh, from that event are now haunting the production, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, our main characters are Nagasa, who's the lead actress in this film that will be depicting the murder spree that happens all those years ago, and she is playing the most tragic victim, which was the young daughter of the murderer. And then you have Yayoi, who's a college student, and she is just having, you know, these experiences that make her believe that she might be having some someone from you know her past life affecting her in the now and so she's you know searching out you know supernatural help and she's researching and she's the one who ends up finding a lot about this murder spree that happens and the really interesting thing when it comes to this is uh, you know you you have the murder you kind of have an idea of this uh this haunting that's happening both of them are having visions of this little girl you know and you have this idea like which one of them is the reincarnation of this girl and that's like a question that goes on throughout the film is you're constantly asking yourself, well, who is the re actual reincarnation of all these murder, like all these murder victims, but specifically the murderer and this little girl? You know, you're led to believe a couple people are, and I, I really like it. It's a very, it's a who's who of, you know, who who was who in the past, and I, I really like that. It was a very, um, it was a good little mystery. You know, you're trying to solve throughout the film. You know, one thing though too is. In the same way that this is kind of like an evolution of the story of the grudge it's also an evolution of the production you know the production seems a lot more um it's a it's a much bigger production i feel like because not only are you switching out the house for a hotel it's the whole concept is you know they're not actually filming at this hotel they have a set they have a set that's made in a movie studio that's a one-to-one -one recreation of the hotel and something i think is really interesting is you know in the same way how the grudge you have the ghost will run in the background and then, you know, all of a sudden they look back and they, they edit it so fast that it looks like the ghost disappeared. What they'll do in this film is the characters will be on the set and all of a sudden they'll turn a corner and they're off the pristine set and they're all of a sudden back in the decrepit hotel. Or they try to walk out the door and instead of seeing the set, uh, the studio, they'll see, you know, the forest and they'll be out in the hotel. And I thought that was really interesting. It's kind of an evolution of that technique, I guess, where you know, they're being disoriented and they don't know where they are. And even outside the um, the studio set in the hotel, like it happens when they're just alone in their house and, you know, just off on their own. And I think that's very interesting. And I think the, th I think the mystery is really the main pull of this film. You know, you just, you're constantly guessing. And this final sequence where, you know, the same thing happens where all these characters are forced to play out, um, exactly what happens on that fateful day when that murderer decided to kill everyone and it's done in such a great way too um and you, you figure out who's who because you've seen these murders and visions of all the characters and now you're seeing these characters get murdered in that same way and as they get murdered in that same way you're like oh well i know exactly who they were and it's very interesting because i mean at least for me no one who i thought was uh who is who they actually were it was I was thrown for a loop for sure, and I uh, I appreciate that because you know, 
uh, I just, you know, it was a good mystery and I really like to see it come to fruition. And that final sequence does it perfectly. Besides that, though, I think this is the most um, run of the mill of these four films. It's definitely not as iconic as uh, Juan or Ringu. And it's definitely not as unique as Cairo. That's not to say that it's a bad film. Um, I usually, if something's a bad film, I'll give you some more recommendations that you should watch instead of that. I would just recommend, before you watch this, you should watch the other three films um, in this episode. Because those three, uh, from what I understand, are like the really big, iconic movies of this uh, movement. Where Rene was kind of just, you know, it was kind of just, you know, again, just run of the mill. Uh, not terrible. I think it has a lot of stuff that makes it stand up on its own, but it's, I mean, I'm really struggling to find ideas on what to talk about with this film because it's its just a very run-of-the-mill ghost story. Um, it gets a great start with those scares. The whole, throughout the middle, you get a lot of little clues that are always in the form of a scare, and then you get this amazing finale. And uh, yeah, I would say is watch it after you watch the other three and, I mean, this one might also be a good one to watch with a bunch of friends, too. Um, I think at the end it was a good film. And uh, what really made it stood apart is the, uh, it's got the scariest doll I've ever seen in a film. Not to uh, drag Chucky's name through the mud again, but this doll is the scariest thing in this film. Uh, it's the scariest doll I've ever seen in a film. And it's one of those things where you just look at it you feel disgusted because you know it's going to do something later on it's going to make you feel freaked out and it's it plays a much bigger role than i could have ever thought uh, it's and so i mean honestly you could watch this movie for that doll alone uh but yeah that's renee again good movie pretty scary uh but it was also pretty run-of-the-mill so i don't have a lot to say about it it's just a very you know average film which is okay there's a place for average film not everything has to be amazing or bad some things can just be average get a couple friends make you know make pop some popcorn pop this bad boy in and uh you got yourself a good time um yeah now we've uh we've made it to uh my bane ringu the ring 1998 directed by hideo nakata based on the book by koji suzuki never read the book and uh, I've only seen the movie through my fingers, like I said before, so I don't really, I don't really remember too much of the details uh, from all those years ago. But I really just want to reiterate how much this movie, in my head, was built up to be the scariest thing in the world. Um, so another little story from my uh, childhood. I used to carpool with this guy, and uh, he also had a love for scary movies. And he would talk about how he'd watch a lot of these scary movies with his older brother. And uh, he talked about how one night he watched The Ring with his older brother. And he said, yeah, it was terrifying. He's like, I have never seen such a terrifying movie in my life. And if that was not bad enough, he said that later on, he's like, yeah, I went to sleep. And I, I uh, you know, was in my bed alone. And all of a sudden this light, I could feel this light on my eyelids. And I woke up. And I looked at my TV screen, and it was the tape. I could see it. I could see the woman combing her hair, and the people crawling on the rocks, and that man with the towel on his head. And finally, it just stayed on that well, and Sadako coming up, and I, I, ran, I was frozen solid. And, I, and she started coming at me, and I just ran screaming out of my room. 
and he he said later on he figured out his big brother had figured out a way to uh, separate that tape or find that tape and put it on a DVD or something, and he snuck into his room and he uh, he played it while he was sleeping on a loop so that when he would wake up he would see it and uh, just that story alone uh, terrified me about this movie you know and uh, I think it's just you know this movie is just uh, one of those movies that everyone knows even if they've never seen it they ha it has that reputation of being very scary. And, you know, it felt very nice to uh, watch this movie. It was a cathartic feeling because I really do feel like sometimes I watch these movies because I'm, I'm so afraid of them and I, I get through them. And it feels good to get through them. It feels like you've conquered. You feel like you're, you know, you're right there with the hero. You're right there with, uh, you know, uh, Laurie Strode or whoever. And you're, you, you've conquered this terrible evil. And I think it's one of the main appeals to horror films. But I'm Stalin. Um so the story of this film, again, something everyone knows, this, uh, you know, you find a VHS tape, you watch it, and you get a call on the phone saying, you got, uh, you got a week to live. And uh, our main character is this woman, and she's a paranormal reporter, and uh, she's basically been following this tape, and she knows about it, which is really interesting, just like from the off, just from the offset, she knows that there's this tape out there, and she knows that the whole thing is like, oh, she's, she's very, uh, I don't think she's convinced at all. She, I uh, think, you know, it's like, oh, you watch it, a week later you die, yeah, right. Um, and it isn't until she learns that that was the most likely cause of her niece's death that she starts to take it, you know, maybe a little more seriously. And she hunts down this VHS and she watches it and, you know, that's where we begin. Um, uh, one thing I really like about this movie is uh, her, I mean, again with all these other characters and all these other movies you kind of have that random victim feeling but there is a level of she is the one who uh went out looking for the truth and it was her behavior that kind of warranted this kind of um i guess punishment um but what, what i think is very interesting is how when she's you know because the whole idea is she has to figure out the mystery behind this tape so that she can uh you know basically figure a way out of this curse she kind of sees parallels to her own life. I don't think she ever really uh, admits it too much, but uh, one thing you get through this uh, movie is, you know, she's kind of a careerist, and we uh, see through some very nice, subtle scenes that she, for the most part, kind of leaves her kid at home. He's kind of a latchkey kid, and it's through her, like, kind of focus on her career and trying to figure out about this tape, and, you know, her kind of, you know, neglecting her child that she eventually ends up endangering uh, her child when he watches the tape. Um, another thing, along with her, there's also her ex-husband who is also assisting her trying to figure out the mystery of this tape. And uh, one thing to just really hammer home, like how much this kid kind of is ignored by his parents. This guy has the most, in my opinion, the best entrance of any deadbeat dad in any movie ever where, uh, you know, Yoichi, the kid, he's sent off from his by his mother from his apartment to go to school, and he he's walking through the rain. He meets this man, and he looks at him, and then without saying a word, he walks around him and continues off to school. And it's only when that man walks up into the apartment, and you know talks to the main character that we realize that he is indeed Yoichi's dad. And that's something I just really like is these characters. Uh, there is a reason why they are kind of being punished and it's interesting as they go on they see these parallels between Sadako's situation and uh, their own. 
Uh, it's very good. It's very subtle storytelling. I like that a lot. Besides the uh, story, though, I would say this is probably, uh, production-wise, this is probably one of the most subtle horror movies I've ever seen in my life. Um, if you take the what I said about Juan the Grudge, where you constantly have a sense of dread and you expect this um, jump scare to come out, I would say that just turning that notch down a little bit, you get the ring where you have a sense of unease the whole time. And every so often there's these scares that are, I don't know, they seem slower than a jump scare, if that makes sense. Uh, they still scare you, but it's um, it's not as sudden. It doesn't give you that jolt. It gives you kind of an extra heartbeat maybe, but uh, I wouldn't call it a jump scare. It's just these little scares, and I, I like that style. I don't feel like a lot of films do go for the very subtle scares. I mean, um, just for instance, it's use of sound. Uh, there's a couple of times they use sounds just um just to indicate certain things. Uh, one of my favorites is uh the sound every time the new day happens. Every time there's a new day, uh, we get this really cool kind of uh, swelling synth sound, and uh, you start to you know you hear it and you're starting to recognize it. Like I don't know, it's like Pavlov's dog where you hear it and it's your indication to their impending doom is drawing near and. Um, I really like that, and uh, along with that um, that swelling synth noise, you also have this grinding metal noise, and this grinding metal noise, they play it a lot just in scenes where, I mean, for the most part, a lot of these scenes with the grinding metal noise, uh, I don't think a lot's going on, but it really helps to kind of amp up the tension a little bit. Um, but I would say probably my favorite use of noise in this entire sound and this entire film is uh, there's this one scene where the main character, she's in her room, She's in this room, and she thinks she's sleeping next to her son, Yoichi. And uh, she wakes up, and the room is really dark, and she looks over at her son, or her, she thinks her son should be, and she starts calling out to him. She's like, Yoichi. And uh, uh, the, the, the person who responds is the, the, the niece that died earlier in the film. And, you know, it's just, I don't know, having a character who we know is dead just answer in such a, you know... Uh, just such a like a casual way and then she looks over and she just sees this kind of like black figure laying next to her facing away uh it's a it's a really great use of just it's, it's a really nice scare that's just very subtle but it kind of i think taps into like i don't know it'd be terrifying to just wake up next to someone who you were pretty sure was dead just a few days ago so I really like that, and this is just that just the girl's voice is just I don't know because she she calls out for her aunt, and you're just like wait no that girl's supposed to be dead. It's very good, um, and then also just um, it, the imagery too. It's very all of it's just very extremely subtle. Uh, you know they'll be watching the tape, and then they turn off the tape, and then they see a reflection behind them. There's not usually a stinger like a really loud sound to accompany. It's just they see it, and then you kind of hear their reaction and it's always done really well um and uh honestly yeah no the film's really good i really just like this mystery that they're trying to unravel throughout the entire film and how there's kind of this um you know twist at the end that the thing that they thought they had to do to you know save themselves was not at all what they had to do and really that from the very beginning the main character was saved and she did exactly what she was supposed to do and uh I think it's kind of interesting too because uh, the film is uh, the the main crux of the film is 
I mean, it's just chain mail. I don't know when chain mail became a thing and like became popular, but that's just it. It's just this kind of urban legend of, uh, you know, oh, you know, send this letter to 10 different people or you're going to die by Friday or, uh, oh, you need to uh, share this uh, image or you're going to uh, die at midnight. And I really enjoy how they just take it very seriously. Um, and I think that's a thing that, you know, this film just does really well. It takes itself seriously. I mean, in a, in a lesser film, this curse uh the 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 ex-wife the main character she tried to explain this to her husband or her ex-husband when she's uh at the very beginning and they would be in a fight like oh you're ridiculous and it would take them forever to get on the same page but you know the fact that she you know through her reporting is able to discover that everyone who was cursed you know their pictures are always deformed and she tells that to her ex-husband and he you know takes a picture of her and gets the picture and i don't know just the fact that you know he she gives her hard evidence and he has no reason to disbelieve her because she's a honest person and that's when they get on the same page and you know it just moves the story along and it just takes itself very seriously um and i just like that a lot but just the fact that you know she she did the right thing from the very beginning i i really enjoy that by having someone else watch and making a copy um and then you know it all leads into that one you know that that scene the biggest scene in the film uh, probably the scariest scene in the film, the most uh, bombastic scene in the film, where Sadako finally makes her appearance. And unlike Kayako, who's kind of present throughout the entirety of Juan, uh, Sadako is just the complete opposite. She's a mystery. You know, you you don't even really realize that she's the main antagonist until I mean, if, I mean, obviously everyone knows because it's such a famous movie. But if you were going into it blind and you didn't know, it's not until much later do you realize Sadako is the one who is kind of pulling the strings and uh, her appearance is just so iconic in like horror movie history. Her slow plotting as that video goes on longer than it did before and then she makes her way to the screen and does that just crawl through the TV screen and starts making her way towards him. And he's just, um, and you know, Sadako, she's just such a, a interesting, I guess, movie monster. I love just little things about her. Like you never see her face um and i i really enjoy the um i just really enjoy like she doesn't have any fingernails and how you later figure out why she doesn't have any fingernails and it just makes her so much more uh, uh disgusting and creepy i don't know and uh you know and then you know when you finally see that one that one little scene that eye oh god that eye is just so it's terrifying it's you know and uh and i can't just i can't even just um i just can't overstate how <laughs> amazing Sadako's appearance in this film is it's it's just completely iconic and uh yeah no I mean in right she's right up there with Kaiko and those two are right up there with Dracula and Frankenstein like they are two of the greatest most uh iconic monster movie movie monsters in history um now that all being said um you know I've been talking about how scary some of these films are and I've been basically talking how my lifelong fear has been The Ring. Now The Ring has been just this terrifying film. And so how did I feel watching it? And it's very strange to admit. And of all the movies I watched, this was, I felt like it was the least scary. <laughs> it's really weird. I feel like I've definitely overcome the fear. Uh, I've probably overshot, um, you know, the early 2000s and 90s when it comes to horror movies. So I've probably seen a lot scarier since then. But, you know, it's just, you know, it's just that childhood thing where I've held on to this belief. This movie's so scary for such a long time. 
and you know i watched it and it just didn't feel that scary i mean again like the uneasiness and the you know the skipping of heartbeats yeah that happened but uh, all these other films i watch i i definitely felt a lot more scared and a lot more likely to try to look away from the screen or you know just i don't know those movies were a lot more scary than this one this one's very um it's just it's it's i don't know it's just really mellow actually it's crazy to think about it it's i think the idea of the film was so much more scary in my head than how much the film actually was scary um honestly i would recommend this is like a pretty i don't know i, I maybe i don't know i would recommend this would be a pretty good starter scary movie or j horror film it's 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 uh got some good scares and it's uneasy throughout but uh it's not terrifying as i thought definitely not uh, one thing i actually felt is that this is an extremely cozy film uh, it feels like a road trip film i really enjoy the scenes of um the main characters traveling to the woods where that cabin is and it just seems like a really nice place in the you know japanese countryside and uh same thing with the grandpa's house and when they go fishing and i i love the um i love when they're on the ferry and they're going through the you know the misty ocean and you know they get to the island and they come back and even in the storm they're in that cozy little cabin i don't know it's weird that that was like what i fixated on in this movie but it, it i don't know it had the same effect as if i was watching as if i was like listening to a campfire story with some friends around a fire that's what this movie feels like honestly um i mean maybe i'm understating it i don't want to understate how influential this movie is and it is it's scary it's just compared to some of the stuff that's coming out now it's uh it just isn't as scary as i originally anticipated i don't know it's just a weird experience and uh, you could say i overcame that fear you could say that my system of watching all the movies from nosferatu to uh <laughs> the conjuring has worked out and that i've uh, mastered the art of watching scary films and that i you know, was able to accomplish that goal of being a fan of the movies that scared me so much when I was younger. It's a good feeling. Um, so in review, I would say uh, Juwan, The Grudge. That was the scariest out of all of these. That one actually uh, threw me for a loop. Um, uh, everything after that felt like I was winding down. Maybe that, you know, is the reason why The Ring wasn't as scary because I was coming off that Juwan high still. But yeah, Juwan amazing you gotta watch this film i'm most likely gonna watch every other film especially the ones with um with kayako in them and that original actress who portrayed her uh it's just honest to god i don't i i am hard pressed to think of one monster in any movie that i find as terrifying as her uh not even just interesting or cool or nice backstory but like i like the movie particular it's just her herself it's i if i were to meet her in a dark alley or even my house or I would be terrified after that uh cairo pulse um really enjoyed that film i'm definitely gonna watch it a second time to see if i missed anything um but highly recommend that you watch it um i purposely did not give away the second half to it because it is extremely interesting where it goes with the story and it's genuinely a kind of it's a chilling story i would say after juan this was the second most terrifying Rene again uh, reincarnation uh, I would recommend it uh, it's definitely a average film but that's okay uh, I would think this is a great one to watch with your friends or uh, I don't know just yeah it's a good film it's average don't got a lot to say about it go watch it um, and Ringu again 
probably one out of all these films the most iconic um it's just you can't understate how influential this film was in uh both japanese horror movies and even america horror films um it it was a game changer and it inspired a lot of things that came after it Uh, that being said i didn't think it was that scary it's crazy to think that that film like made me embarrass myself in front of all my friends acting like a little baby (laughs) and in general just this being uh the episode where i you know really see if these japanese ghost stories from the turn of the century are as uh scary as i thought as a kid they do hold up really well scare factor um wise uh today you know and uh they just used very simple techniques most of the time these are all very subtle films it feels like and um these very simple techniques that are really tried and true that i wish i could see in more films nowadays um that are a little bit more overt with their scares um the use of sounds um you know the fact that you start associating certain sounds with certain uh ghosts you know um i think uh kayako's son the little ghost boy in juan is the best example because at first that meowing they use it for a cat but then when you see him meow now you can never be sure whether or not you're about to see him or the cat and that was a really you know it's a very simple way to get that tension and then you know was it going to be a jump scare or is it going to just be another cat uh, and then you know those reoccurring motifs um the ring used them the best with the uh you know the new day synth noise and uh the grinding metal but even uh pulse you know it had like this dial-up noise that would happen before something uh would happen on uh, the main character's uh, computer that would, you know, and that it's, you know, a lot of people hear that dial-up noise and they already have a sense of dread. So using it as a motif for a ghost was, and, you know, supernatural phenomena. It's very, <laughs> it's really fitting. Um, the imagery too, like it didn't use a lot of this uh, gross-out uh, imagery. It didn't use a lot of very overt, obnoxious imagery. It was just very little things, very simple scares. Um, and I like that a lot. And then even I, most overt these films get are with these uh, digital effects, these digital effects. And most of them you see on a, a screen, you know, a character uh, newscaster's head being cut off by, you know, the CRT uh, not being on sync or something or, uh, you know, just that distorted face on TV during Juan. Uh, those work really well. And it's, you know, it's the use of uh, it's it's playing to your limitations rather than trying to go beyond them because i think a lot of films from these times you can look back and either they're tastefully done like these ones and you can look at them and be like wow these are timeless or they are cgi messes where you're just like wow i can't even look at this film because it just looks so terrible because they were just trying to do something that was not something that they were capable to do whether or not it was the you know the time they were in or whether or not it was the the, the people they had on the post-production team but you know I think these films are all very classic and, uh, you know, timeless because of their, you know, nuanced uh, use of these, uh, you know, budding effects, uh, you know, the computer, the computer world. Um, and then the portrayal of ghosts as, as well, instead of using a lot of effects or, you know, trying to come up with these really crazy ghosts, they use most of the time just real people and putting these real people in very um, strange situations, they seem very ghost-like, you know? If you're to walk down into a, you know, bunker, like a a basement or something, and there's just someone standing under the stairs staring at you, um, you're not going to assume that's a person or at least a person in their right mind. And it's very scary, simple imagery. And uh, they, I mean, they use that to great effect with all these movies with just using very little to make you think you, you basically see a person and you're almost immediately sure whether or not they're a ghost. And 
without any effects of like glowing or translucence that's really really good um it shows how they know how to use visual storytelling very well uh i i think another i think the two most um i think the two things that make these uh films this era really stand out is their their modern setting because i mean japan's a very modern place even in the turn of the century uh, i see these movies and these places still seem very modern and i think people see ghosts and uh they're just such an antiquated idea you know back in the old frontier days uh for us americans either we you know for us americans we think of that you know they're all in the trail and they're telling ghost stories around the campfire but you know you live in la or you live in new york there's no ghost there but um seeing them in these metropolitan areas you know in like you know this urban japanese city uh you, you start to get the feeling like oh maybe i'm not that safe maybe ghosts can come into my modern world where i'm surrounded by people and uh, technology especially the use of technology and how these uh these uh, you know these 21st century ghosts they're able to uh invade your home using the internet and your telephone and uh I, I think that's very uh you know i think that's used a lot now but i think we take for granted like how much it was kind of uh revolutionized with these films especially with pulse pulse uses that its early internet uh understanding is uh, much better than you know some american films you know with their with their uh, hacker uh their hacker uh stereotypes um this movie was uh, very good at kind of bringing ghosts into the now and even today looking back they seem like very modern settings and then again along with that their storytelling these movies take themselves seriously and there's so many horror films that just don't seem to take their their subject matter seriously nowadays even today they just don't take it seriously and i i hate that i hate when they have characters who are constantly questioning what's happening in the film i can do that by myself but i also have this thing called suspension of disbelief you know so i don't need a character constantly telling me how ridiculous the situation is i just if it's a good effective story and you're you're sure of it and you treat it seriously uh i will take it seriously too it's just you know a matter of how good of a filmmaker you are and i think it's kind of a cop-out when you know characters um constantly questioning what's happening like all these characters they had no reason to believe there wasn't ghost happening and uh you know, they just, they accepted it and they trust the people they know and they acted very realistically. They didn't act like cartoons. Um, and I, I, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so I would say these films are not only uh, very scary and hold up really well today, but uh, this whole era is, um, I mean, I used to be so afraid of it, but just, you know, marathoning all these films, I can really see their influence and in everything that's come after them. They really were which is very influential, and uh, I, I feel bad for skipping them, but, you know, in the end, I'm happy that I was able to come back to them, conquer my fear, and uh, actually, you know, enjoy them, which was my end goal from the very start, so I'm happy to be, uh, you know, <laughs> happy to be able to enjoy them now. <laughs> now, that being said, uh, in watching all these Japanese ghost stories, I think uh, some sort of pulse-like entity might have entered my computer, because this is about the third time I've had to uh, re-record this episode, so if it sounds a little Frankenstein together, it's because it is. <laughs> um, uh, and that also being said, you know, if you if you listening on to this, uh, listening to this podcast, you may have been infected, and you might have some sort of uh, entity living on whatever device you use to listen to this podcast. And I cannot promise that if you do not share this podcast with someone you know within a week, that your hard drive will not get uh, just blanked out. <laughs> um, and I also know that last week I didn't say that Japanese ghost stories was something I was interested in for this week's episode, but I mean, I'm honestly just going to probably spout out ideas and 
then uh, three days later, I'm going to see something that catches my eye and I'm going to want to do an episode about that. But, you know, knowing that, uh, take it with a grain of salt that I've been thinking about doing an episode about uh, my boy Goji since the new Zilla vs. Kong trailer just came out. Uh, I'd probably want to do something about the Toho films before I talk about the legendary films, but I'd also be thinking that it'd be cool to kind of compare the two, uh, especially like Shin Godzilla and then the 2014 American Godzilla. Um, and then also uh, Shin uh, Shin Ultraman. That trailer just came out like today, I think, and I just watched that, and I would love to talk about uh, some uh, other kaijus too. Uh, I know that doesn't necessarily fall that much into horror but i think it does it's monsters man and it's also being done by uh ano sensei and ano sensei did uh freaking uh evangelion shin godzilla that that's considered horror i think uh but if i have to find something a little bit more uh geared towards uh actual western horror there's also psycho gore man and i could talk about psycho gore man and how tokusatsu influenced that so you know maybe this is just going to be a slew of uh weeaboo episodes because i'm just in that kind of mood uh <laughs> But, you know, if you have any other suggestions you might want to, you know, have me talk about or have some stuff that, uh, anything really, uh, you can uh, contact me at, at TheHorrorizen um, at Twitter. You can message me. Um, it's spelled H-O-R-R-O-R-I-Z-O-N. And then also my Gmail, which is over the Horizon, which is also H-O-R-R-O-R-I-Z-O-N. There's uh, no spaces or special characters. It's all just one thing. Um, so yeah, I know you have a lot of choices when it comes to long-winded rambling podcasters, and I'm really happy that you chose me very, very much so. So thank you for joining me, and uh, oh yeah, sumi masai, all you uh, aka oni and uh, aoni, and I hope you join me for the next episode.